Did you guys get a lot of mail over the last few days? I mean, goodness gracious, sales starting at midnight, sales starting at 8, sales starting, get in line, 7 a.m., doorbusters. And of course, I don't know, I won't, I won't embarrass you by asking how many of you, you know, got out there and were there at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., had one of our members come up this morning and say, yeah, we were there, we, we got there. Did you know one of the stores was selling an 80-inch flat screen TV? Yeah, it's about as big as a garage door, as best I can, an 80-inch Let me tell you something about the challenge of this season and see if we can use it to kind of segue into what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your copy of the story with you, we're in the 10th chapter. How many got a chance to read chapter 10? You've been reading along. Let me encourage you just to keep reading as we're walking through the story of the Old Testament heading towards, well, at Christmas time, we're going to shift gears a little bit, kind of jump ahead and steal a couple of chapters from the New Testament uh, for our Christmas series called More Than Christmas, and that's going to take place the 16th and the 23rd. But for right now, we're just tracking and we're down to chapter 10, and we're telling the story, following along in God's Word, the story of Israel, now that they've gotten into the Promised Land, and God has raised up judges, as we talked about, And at the end of the book of Judges, the last line of Judges goes like this. And at that time, there was no king in Israel, and every man did as he saw fit. We're walking into a big change in Israel as a nation. They have been led by these kind of crusader judges, those who would rise up not to actually be Judge Judy, but rather to strike down the Ammonites or the Amalekites or whoever it was, the Philistines that they were fighting. But now there is this undertone of there was no king in Israel. Who had kings? All the other nations did. But Israel didn't. Well, actually, they did. They had a king, and his name was Jehovah. Can I get an oh yeah on that? Last week we talked about Elimelech. His name means God is my king. But the problem was Israel was beginning to look around at their neighbors. Now, that leads me back to these huge TVs. Did you know that your friends can make your TV shrink? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? You think you have a TV that's plenty big, right? It fits right in the cabinet where it's supposed to fit. But then your friend says, hey, you want to come over and watch the game on my new TV? So you innocently take your children and your spouse. And lo, you go into the house of your friend. And lo, their TV is godless in its size. It is just, it's huge. And the first thing your kids say is, Yeah, wow, did you see that TV? That was so cool. It was so big. It was as big as a window. And you say, we don't need a TV like that. And your children say, yeah, we do. Can you imagine playing Mario on a TV that big? Can you imagine playing whatever the game they like to play? It was like the players were just coming right on the screen. I mean, football players are literally, you know, actual size on some of these TVs. And so you find yourself coming home and looking at your little, tiny, I don't know, you know what you got, 32 inches or 37 inches, whatever it is, and you go, man, wow, we need a king like all the other countries around us have. It is said that American commercialism this time of year is built on all of us breaking the 10th commandment. 
thou shalt not covet. And so consumer envy gets a hold of us and we start saying, well, the folks down the street, they got a new TV or the folks down the street got a new car or the folks down the street. Did you see they redid there or they rebuilt there or she had this refinished or refurbished? They've added on and we start envying. It's never a good thing. Keeping up with the Joneses was a cartoon that actually came out in 1913. Can you believe it? We've been at it that long. Constantly trying to get what other people have. When God told us back in the 10th commandment, don't covet. It's just going to make you miserable. And it's going to make you stand in line at 8 o'clock waiting for midnight or for 8 a.m. Now, I know, I know that you would never go stand in line to buy something for yourself. Yeah. Survey said that 80% of the people standing there waiting for doorbusters were buying something for themselves. Well, you know, I, I'll leave that to them. I don't want to throw rocks at anybody because I wasn't out there. But I will ask you this question. Do you think there's something we might learn from Israel so long ago about the notion of looking across at the neighbor's field and saying, we want a king like them? If you have your copy of the story with you, and again, it's not a substitute for the Bible. It's actually selected scriptures. It's a, it's a Bible study tool. Or if you have your Bible with you, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to begin reading in just a minute in 1 Samuel, about the 8th chapter. Or if you have your copy of the story, turn to page 135. And we're going to pick up here. Now, in order to get here, I need to give you some quick backstory. There was a woman by the name of Hannah who was a sweet lady. If you were in Bible class, you studied about her already. For years, she'd prayed for a child. Her husband's other wife, you know, had kids and made fun of her. And so finally, God answers her prayer and she says, she calls the boy, God heard me. And Samuel, she gives to the Lord. She lets him live in the temple. So he grows up with Eli, who was the priest of that day. There's a couple of roles you need to understand. There were priests. Priests were people who talked to the Lord for the people. In other words, they would offer up the sacrifices and communicate to God. Then there were people who were prophets, sometimes called men of God, and they would be the ones who would speak to the people for God. You got me here? The priest talks to God for the people. The prophet talks to the people for God. And then there was the king. Now, he hadn't come on the scene yet, but he's going to be the nexus of the political power, the military power, as well as the spiritual power. And priest and prophet are going to jockey for position with the king, who, of course, is going to want to be in control. It's a recipe for frustration that is going to break the heart of Israel for generations. But back to Samuel. Samuel grows up and becomes a great man because, you see, Eli, the priest in his day, his sons, Hophnius and Phinehas, were not good guys. And so because of that... Eli ends up losing his sons and he ends up dying and Samuel becomes the new priest in Israel. He is the leading priest, if you will, a man of God. And even when he gets old, it seems tough passing it on to the next generation because his sons are also not respectful of God's ways. And the people seize this opportunity to say, we want a big screen. No, we want a king. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders But they turned aside after dishonest gain. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, I love this, you're old. And your sons do not follow your ways. 
Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want one like them. But when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Don't think just, you know, made him mad. Think it hurt him. I mean, it deep in his heart, he was like, no. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. Really? Samuel says, aren't I the one? And then it must have, ding. No, you're right, God. Can you read it with me? It's up on the screen. It is not you they have rejected, but they have... Yeah, they had a king. His name was Jehovah. And they decided they wanted something else, someone else. Now, God's going to warn them about what a king is going to cost them. But before we get there, I want to frame this part of Israel's history in one simple sentence. Ignoring God. Do you know what happens when you ignore God? When you ignore God, you're like the little child who has watched mama bake those chocolate chip cookies because the family's coming over for holidays. And as soon as mama takes that tray wearing her mittens out and sets them there on the table or sets them on the counter... The little child rushes up to grab a cookie and mom says, what? No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I want a cookie. I want one right now. No, no, no. You have to wait. These are hot. You have to wait. Mama turns her back and she hears a scream. And she turns around and the little child has reached up and grabbed a big handful of doughy hot pain. And as he's trying to scrape it off his hands and he's screaming and he's crying and he's saying, Mama, Mama, there's some part of Mama that wants to say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, didn't I, didn't I tell you, you didn't listen. Folks, when you ignore God, you know, if if you're tired, if you've got too much, what is it the turkey gives you, tryptophan or something? If you've got too much of that in you, then let me just give you this sentence so you'll be okay. Here's the definition of ignoring God. When you ignore God, the more you get what you want, the less you want what you got. When you ignore God, the more you reach out and grab, the more you say, whoa, no, I'm sorry, I didn't want that. And if Saul's lesson can teach us any one thing, may it this holiday season teach us to slow down and wait and say, Lord, I want for my life, what you desire, not just what I think. Let's pray about that. Will you bow with me? Father, as we look at the story of Saul today, I just ask that you help me. God, it is so easy for me to think that I know best, that I know what would be best for my life or for my family. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to not run like Israel after what everybody else has got. And Lord, you know I'm a whole lot less worried about our TVs than about what's on them. God, I'm less worried about what kind of stereo we may have than what it is that we listen to and put in our head and our heart. For Father, I know it is the heart that you're after. So I pray that you would help us see, hear, and learn this morning so that we would not ignore you as Israel did so long ago. I pray this in Christ Jesus' holy name and all that agree say, Amen. Three principles on the lesson yours. Here we go. Number one, 
Israel starts by ignoring God when it comes to trusting and honoring him. If you take out your bulletins, you can actually write this down and maybe talk about it a little bit with the family. They ignored God's advice about trusting and honoring him. And because of that, they faced defeat and shame. And I'm going to go ahead and throw in the word needlessly. And what's interesting is when the Israelites said, we want a God who will fight our battles for us. I want to raise my hand and say, excuse me, who's that been fighting your battles up until now, guys? Didn't God do a pretty good job at the Red Sea? Can I get it? Oh, yeah. You got all the Egyptian army coming after you. And did Israel turn around with their sticks and throw manna? At? No, they didn't have manna in that day. Did they turn around and just, you know, uh, pray at them? What did they do? They said, watch. And the Lord took care of it. God does a pretty good job battling. Amen? So when I want to step in and say, well, I'll take care of this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, friend. Who do you want to to fight your battles for you? You or God? But we want a king. Okay, back up. Hannah has just turned Samuel over to the Lord. Samuel is watching Hophni and Phinehas be such just awful fellas. And then his own sons do the same thing. And here's what the Lord does. Samuel watched this growing up. The Lord comes to Eli and he says, You know, Eli, I told you that your house was going to be priests forever. But let me tell you what, they're not because of the way you have dishonored me. Now, this isn't actually in the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter um, 2, verses 30 through 33. In 1 Samuel 2 and 17, which is in the story, the Bible says that the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering... With contempt. Backstory. Hophni and Phineas, they were using their position to line their own pockets. Well, people would bring uh, sacrifices to God and Hophni and Phineas would grab the best parts of it for themselves. And, and as they did so, God says, I will not tolerate you disrespecting and shaming me. And so God says, all right. The more you get what you want, that's fine. You, you want to have it your way? You want to get what you want? Here, how about this? The Philistine nation attacks them and overwhelms them. The Israelites think, oh, we've got to get the Ark of the Covenant there. And the Philistine nation not only attacks and overwhelms them, they take the Ark of the Covenant. The more Israel got what they wanted, the less they... Oh, you can do a better job at that. 830 did better than that. The more that Israel got what they wanted, the less they the less they wanted what they got. They said, we'll take care of this. We'll battle. And God says, yeah, watch this. And all of a sudden, the Ark of the Covenant is taken away. It hits Eli so hard, big old fat man, unfortunately, falls over on his chair and dies. All these bizarre little lower story factors, right? God is looking down and saying, Israel, you don't have to lose like this if you'll just listen. Listen. An accountant, actually, a financial advisor, sat in a room with a group of millionaires. The millionaires all had something in common. They had all made millions with balls. Basketball players, football players. The guy is a professional financial advisor to sports stars. And as he began his conference, I read that he said to them, I want to help you guys keep your millions. How many here would like to hang on to the millions you got? Boy, they all shot their hands up. He said, all right, good. He said, let me tell you how to do that. Do you know what the number one loss that you will suffer from your, in your financial uh, status as a millionaire football or basketball player? 
One of them said, bad investments. You know, the other said, people ripping you off. He said, nope, nope, you haven't hit it yet. He said, the number one thing you've got to take care of is not your stock portfolio, is not your real estate portfolio, but your marriage. Divorce will cost you more than anything else. My jaw hit my chest. I thought, wow, I want to invite the guy in to preach. I mean, you know, it's, it's a pretty powerful message. But I realize God's been telling us that for eons. Can I get a, oh, yeah? God's been telling us that from the very beginning. God's been saying, listen, you don't have to suffer. Now, some of you I know have been through the pain of divorce, and God bless you. My, my choice today is not to add to your pain. And praise God, we have a God who is gracious and forgiving when we stumble and fall. Amen. But folks, if you're married, can I just make it really, really plain? If you ignore God's wisdom about loving your spouse, about honoring your spouse, about caring for your spouse, it will bring you pain, some of which is needless. Young people, honor your father and mother, for this is right in the Lord. Obey them, the Bible says, so that you may live long. Do you hear that promise? So that you may live long. I know some of you are saying, well, if I don't obey my dad, I won't live very long at all. And I, that's, that's not exactly what I think he's talking about. He's saying, if you want to have a healthy, prosperous life, here's where you start. Respect your mom and dad. Can I get a, oh, yeah? Yeah, all the moms and dads, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, moms and dads, are you going to show them how to respect by respecting your aging parents? Are you going to show them how to respect by respecting your boss or the people you work? Yeah, but my boss is a jerk. Yeah, well, sometimes dads and moms are jerks. Can I get a quiet mm-hmm about that? Yeah. But you see, the scripture doesn't say obey your dad when he's not a jerk or obey your mom when she's not a pain. It says, here's what I want you to do. Honor your father and mother. But I want to just reach up and grab that handful of hot cookie, baby. Just wrap your hand around that steaming dough. And when your hand is blistered and red, you'll say, the more I got what I wanted, the less I... At one point in my parenting career, I had one of my children tell me that we were the strictest parents of any of their friends. I said, really? How do you know this? Oh, we've talked about it. Oh, really? Yes, you guys are super strict. Now, uh, let me just say up front, I am so far from being a perfect dad. I, I, I mean, they may have the perfect mother, but I, they, they, they do not have the perfect dad. And I'm sure that I have been too strict at times, as I'm sure my dad, oh, my dad, he was the strict. Anyway, I'm sure that just like you, as you wrestle and think about your life, but folks, is it not true that when we ignore the advice, when we ignore the direction of those who love and care for us, we end up needlessly getting into pain and problems? Hello, it's right here. In First Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. The Lord declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? 
God says, how would you like to live a life of blessing? It starts out this way. Number one, honor and trust me. And if you ignore me and say, talk to the hand, know this. The more you get what you want, the less you'll. Number two, not only did Israel do that, they ignored God's advice about rulers and power. And they got leaders who took advantage of them and led them astray. Bless Saul's heart. I mean, in some ways, it wasn't his fault. Israel was there demanding, we want a king like everybody else. First Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. We want a king over us, and then we'll be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight the battles. And he says, do you know what it's going to cost you? And they say, we know better. Samuel tried to tell him. He said, a king is going to take your sons into his army. A king is going to take your daughters for his maidservants. A king is going to take your finest vineyards so he can give them to some of his associates. A king is going to tax you. He's going to take 10% of everything you've got. A king is going to basically turn you into indentured servants. And they looked at him like a junior high student. La, 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 la. And it all just flowed right by. Are you listening to me? And they said, we want. That's all they heard. We want. We want. We want our way. God says, well, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. So give it to them. Samuel sends them all away. And God says, listen, there's going to come a guy looking for donkeys. Samuel said, what? Yeah, his name's going to be Samuel. And he's going to be looking for his father's donkeys because they're lost. I find this interesting. Samuel was looking for a donkey. Pardon me. Saul was looking for a donkey. Saul was. Samuel was looking for a king. One of these things is just like the other. Anyway. All right. So so here is, is Saul looking for the donkeys. Where's his donkeys? I'm worried that my dad's donkeys are missing. And he gets up and he, and he gets to his friends. His friend says, hey, listen, go up and talk to Samuel, the wise man. He, he'll, he'll tell you where the donkeys are. He gets there and Samuel says, listen, forget about the donkeys. God has anointed you. He anoints him. And he says, oh, by the way, your dad already found your donkeys. And now he's worried about you. Saul ends up going back. Saul, by the way, means tall. He's head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. Picked a great looking king. Tall, great big guy. And so when they get the clans together and they go down finally to his clan, and now the king is Saul, Saul, Saul. Saul was hiding in the baggage. They had to literally pull him out of the back. Here's your king. But the Lord blesses Saul. He fights against the Amalekites and he fights against the Philistines. And and Saul is, is a great and powerful warrior. But power begins to corrupt the man, I believe. And before you know it, Saul is erecting monuments to himself. Saul is saying, I'm going to do this. And the people of Israel for generations suffer. Why? Because they didn't listen to God. Folks, just, just, just let's pull up half a second here. How different are you and I? I know this story comes from a thousand years before Jesus, but how different are we? God says, be gracious to your enemies. Otherwise, the judgment you give out, you'll be judged with. And what do we say? I'm going to hold his feet to the fire. She's not going to get away with that. And so we punish and we belittle and we... And where do we end up? Bitter, lonely, and hurt. The more we get what we want, the less we... Yeah, exactly. God says, be generous. God says, give. Give and it shall be given to you. Give and we say no. Wait a minute, I can't. I gotta, you know. We got this uh, makeup Sunday coming, and I'll, I'll second what uh, one of our shepherds said, and that is, it's it's going to be an important day. 
we've done this for years. It's funny. Somebody said, I don't know why we do a makeup Sunday around Christmas time. It's interesting. We have a holiday that the country honors Jesus with, but of course, he's the last one we think about giving any kind of gifts to. I just, I found that interesting. So I hope like my wife and I, you guys are going to think about, well, what, what can we give? And not just about that particular Sunday, although next Sunday is, is an important Sunday. Please hear them as they share that. But, but you see, when God calls me to be generous and I say, no, I'm going to control my own things, he says, are you going to ignore my advice, Jeff? Yeah, but Lord, I... And, and you know what I found? The times in my life when I have been the most generous have been the times in my life when I've been the most blessed. You know what the Greek for that is? Duh. Just mark it down. D-U-H. Duh. The times in my life when I have been the kindest to others, I have received the most kindness. The times in my life when I have been the most loving to others, I've received the most love. The times in my life when I've been willing to put others first have been the times when I have been myself exalted. And the times when I've demanded my way or clenched my fist or beat somebody down, the more I got what I wanted, the less I what I got. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. As my grandma used to say, you don't have enough. (laughs) Just keep it because you don't have enough to be handing any out. You see, when Israel ignored God, they were ignoring the one entity in all the universe who loved them more than anyone else. Young people, can you remember that when somebody says, hey, we're just moving in together. You know, we don't need to get married. And you're thinking, wow, that would be so much easier. I had a young person say to me, I think marriage is a failed institution. Okay, pause a second. I have no doubt that the divorce rate is heartbreaking more so to God than it is to us. But just so you know, research is coming out and saying that living together doesn't help you have a long, healthy relationship. To which I would use that same Greek word. Duh. God said, would you like to have a long, healthy relationship? Try this thing I've got called marriage. Where one man and one woman make a commitment to one another. Yeah, but if we stop, stop. What you're saying is, God, I know better than you. God says, if you honor me, I'll bless you. But if you ignore me, good luck. Because it ain't going to be God bless you. Mark down number three. Not only did they ignore God's will about rulers and about trusting him, but they ignored God's will about purity and obedience. And it diluted their faith and it compromised their identity. All right, we got to get to the end of the story and uh, I got to give you some quick backstory. You need to know that there were some enemies of Israel that God had marked. There was a group called the Amalekites or Amalekites, depending on how you pronounce it. They're all dead, so we don't know. So I'll go with Amalekites. The Amalekites were a group that as soon as Israel had come out of the promised land, probably come out of Egypt. Everybody remember this? Let my people go. And they came out of Egypt and they came through the Red Sea and they are a brand new nation. They're they're, they're like a little baby wandering around in the woods. They're not ready to protect themselves. They're not ready to fight. But the Amalekites waited and they hung back, if you will, kind of waiting in, in uh, like, like a group of kids waiting for the third grader to come by to beat him up and take his lunch money. And when they attacked Israel, God said, I will not stand for that. You know, God has a place for the weak. 
God has a place for those who can't defend themselves. That's why he says, here's pure religion. Love the widows and the orphans because they can't take care of themselves. And the whole church said? So the Amalekites, or the Amalekites rather, whatever they are, the A folks, they attack Israel. And when they attack Israel, God says, that's it. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth one day. Now, fast forward with your DVD 400 years. And it's the time of Saul. And God says, Saul, I want you to go out and I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. It's time. This is what's going to happen. And I want you to completely wipe them out. I want you to wipe them all out. I mean, animals and everything. It was God's statement of judgment. Now, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't get this from a human standpoint. I think, God, the donkeys? God says, I want you to wipe everything out. God was not only teaching Israel. He was teaching the nations around them. And Saul said, mm, maybe And Saul falls prey to one of Satan's trickiest lies. If you go to the end of, in fact, go ahead and flip over there in your your copy of the story. You're going to get back to page um, 141. Samuel warns him and says, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Well, Saul gets all nervous. And when Saul is getting ready to fight, the Philistines are also coming against them. Well, the Philistines are so scary to the Israelites, they run and hide in the, in the bushes and, and run and hide in the caves. And so Saul says, oh my goodness, we need to offer a sacrifice. Get Samuel here. Let's offer a sacrifice. And then we'll, and, and Samuel's saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. Be patient, be patient. And the first step that Saul does showing God, he says, I don't care what you think, is he offers to sacrifice. That's not his job. That's not what God said to do. Saul steps in and puts himself as king into the priest's role. Can you see what he's doing? He's trying to pull all the strings of power here. Oh, here, I'll just do the sacrifice. Well, Samuel shows up and says, what? You have done a foolish thing. You have angered the Lord. Oh, but Saul's not done yet. God sends him to vanquish the Amalekites, the Amalek, the A people. He sends them to vanquish them. And when he does, he doesn't do it. Well, he would say he does. He doesn't kill the king. And he keeps all the choicest spoils. Now, keeping spoils was typical when it was a battle. You know, the Philistines attacked uh, Israel, and so Israel attacked them and defeated them. And that's the way the army got paid, was by taking the spoils. That is not this battle. This is a battle in which God is bringing judgment, and he says, don't bring anything home. Tiny problem. This doesn't make sense to Saul. And Saul is feeling enough of his oats about feeling like he knows what's best. That he says, go ahead, let's bring that and that and that, and I'm going to spare the king. Samuel shows up. Saul says, hey, Samuel, I have obeyed the Lord. And Samuel says, really? Then what's that noise I hear of the sheep and the cows? Saul, God is so sorry he even made you king. Wow. That's a lot to make God regret something. Wow. God, what's the big deal? When I pause and I reread that story, and I read it three different times trying to listen and say, what is it God is trying to say? It's just like a bell. It rings in my head. Partial obedience is what Saul did. Do you know what the definition of partial obedience is? Disobedience. Yeah. 
Partial obedience. Go ahead and write that down in your bulletin. It's not even in there. Just write that down. Partial obedience equals disobedience. It's like a family that allows, maybe your family does this. You know, when, when the kids are about finished with the meal, if you've got a dog, you know, you just set the plate down on the floor and, and you know, let the dog clean it up. One of the kids, the dogs were outside, and so he took the plate and he took it outside and set it in the mud. And the dog, you know, finished up the meal. His mom said, get that plate and clean that up. Look where you set that. So the kid brings the plate in that the dog has just licked clean, takes the plate, wipes the mud off the bottom of the plate, cleans it up, and then puts it back up with all the other plates. Yeah. That's called partial obedience. Can I cut you a piece of pie on that? But it looks so clean. Sure. Fido had licked it good. You see, Saul said, but God, this looks like it makes sense to me. And God says, excuse me, there's only going to be one king here. King of heaven and earth or Mr. I think I know what I'm doing king. Which one do you want? I suppose that's the question that I need to ask you today. They have those big billboards. Who's your daddy? How about this one? Who's your king? It's really a simple question. As we head into a season in which there's going to be lots of songs about King Emmanuel, when there's going to be lots of songs about the king that comes, when we'll tell the stories of the wise men coming to see the young baby Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, who's your king? He isn't your king if you ignore his advice, if you spurn his commands, if you despise his word and his will. He isn't your king if you're really sweet at work but nasty as a junkyard dog at home. Are you with me on that? That's called partial obedience. I forgot. What's the definition of partial obedience? Disobedience. He isn't your king if with part of your energies you're doing this, but with another part of your energies you're doing this. He isn't your king if you say, well, do, God, I'll do this much, but forgive that person, give me a break. Forgive that person, no way. Partial obedience. If this doesn't offend you too much, maybe it'll help. If your spouse got back from a business trip and you just looked at them and something bothered you and you said, were you faithful to me while you were away from home? And they said, oh, partially. Would you be comfortable? Would you hug them and say, let's have dinner? Or would you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Partially? Oh, baby, most of the days I was absolutely faithful. We know that's ridiculous. We know that that'd be just about as stupid as can be to think that you'd be pleased with that. Lord, why is it we miss that with you? I went to church on Sunday. I remembered to pray before I went to bed. I honored you well up until breakfast. Partial obedience is what crippled Saul and led Israel astray. So how do you avoid that? 
Well, it comes in becoming a Christian. You see, becoming a Christian means, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that you confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Can you try saying that with me? Jesus is my... Now, understand, when you confess Jesus is your Lord, you not only have said who Jesus is, you've also said who you are. Who's your king? Jesus is my Lord. Wait a minute. If my wife were here and I said, this is my wife, then you would know that I was her husband. Exactly. If, if somebody was here and somebody said, hey, this is my boss, then you know they're the boss and you're the employee. Exactly. If they said, hey, here's my uncle. Oh, well, then you must be the right nephew or niece. Well, what if you said, Jesus is my Lord? What does that mean you are? I'm his co-pilot. No. I'm the vice president. No. Well, I kind of work with. No. He's Lord and you're not. Your servant, Jeff. Because the word Lord is bigger than boss, is bigger than president, is even bigger than emperor. The word Lord means I bow my head and bow my knee and I say, Jesus, whatever you say goes. So I want to end this service a little differently. I'm going to ask in a moment for you to stand and I'm going to invite you when I ask you, who is your king to say, Jesus is my Lord? Now, if you've never given your heart and life to Christ, I want you to understand saying it is only part of it. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus is my Lord, you're confessing him, which is a powerful thing. But the next thing is to obey him. Baptism is a way of saying, Jesus, I totally give myself to you. Death, burial, and resurrection. You know, there would be no greater weekend than Thanksgiving for you to say thank you to God for all he's done for you than choosing to be baptized into Christ. But don't come to do that unless you are willing to say, Jesus is my Lord. Stand together with me if you would. Now, let's not be like Israel. Don't look at the size of the neighbor's flat screen. Don't worry about who has what kind of king. Just ask yourself this question. Who's going to run your life? Who's going to call the shots? Will it be you? Will it be prevailing popular opinion? Will it be whatever the family on the TV is doing? Or will it be Jesus? Brothers and sisters, Israel's history calls you to answer this question. Who is your king? Bow your head with me. Father, I pray that we would mean what we said and live those words. And for any here who have a burden on their heart or father just need to make a commitment to you as Lord to be baptized into Christ, I pray when this song is sung, they would step out to put actions with their words. Let us never ignore you. I pray in Christ Jesus' holy name and all that agree say, Amen.